Good evening. We are thankful that you are here this evening as we try to always say and remind ourselves of the encouragement that we take from thinking about the Word of God and especially as we usually try to say on our Sunday evening services, just another opportunity to encourage ourselves to begin our week uh, with some encouragement by fellowship and by worship. We had a great day. Those who were able to be here this afternoon with us, we had about 84 who stayed uh, to be a part of our singing or came back, and we appreciate those who did that. 84 was a good number. There's about uh, 50 or so young people, teens, and about 30 or so adults. Uh, but we want to say as well, we appreciate the congregation, some of our women and ladies who stayed and, and helped uh, fix food and, and get it ready and serve it, but also all you who helped uh, provide the drinks and, and snacks that we had. Uh, it was very encouraging. I think we had uh, four or five congregations represented in total, maybe, uh, maybe six including us, but uh, just a, a really good afternoon together. We are continuing in our one-word study, uh, and I was giving Don a hard time. He, he gave me a hard time last week saying that the sermon just needed to be really short, you know, because it was Ecclesiastes and uh, fear God and keep his commandments. You ought to be able to say that and sit down. Well, I think the one on marriage may take us all night into the rest of the week if we're not careful. Uh, I should have given a disclaimer maybe in the bulletin that I don't have it all figured out. Uh, we're not going to cover everything there is to know. I threatened to bring Hannah up on stage, and she threatened to leave me if I even mentioned that in front of anybody. We could uh, do a little question and answer, you know, and talk about no. Uh, there's certainly a lot that can be said about marriage. But, you know, last month we began with this slide talking about the idea that it's all about relationships. If you have been with us through a lot of our one-word studies through this series, we talked uh, about a lot of different things. And we talked about Christian character, talked about things like hope and, and uh, things that attitudes we need to have. But the section that we've moved into in this book is about relationships. And so last week we talked about mothers, or last month we talked about mothers. And I don't know, I've not quite figured out if there was a, a rhyme or reason uh, to the, exactly the way they, they organize these. I think it's mothers, I think this week it's, or this month it's marriage, and I think it's Christians, or the idea of Christians, so it kind of jumps around a little bit. Uh, but it is all about our relationships and the relationships that we have here. You know, thinking about marriage, I mean, there are certainly, obviously, lots of jokes that are told, lots of things that could be shared, joking about marriage and, and the idea of a man and, and a woman and their interaction together, but we know that relationships can be very great and beneficial to us, or they can be very detrimental to us. Sometimes it's our fault, it's our own choices, other times maybe it's someone else's choice and something that someone else has done that's caused a relationship to sour, but certainly we are built to be social creatures. We've learned about that even more during the course of a pandemic, having to be quarantined or isolated in a time where we couldn't be together. We think more and more that it's not just about the husband and the wife, although that's important, certainly, as you may be married, but then it's just out of all of our relationships that are make us who we are. It, it help they help us to be better. They help us to learn. I mean, even as we talk a little bit about parents and children, you know, our role in instructing children how the world works, how to interact within relationships. You find people that you love dearly. You find close friends, and you have strong relationships with them and with other Christians. You have people that inevitably drive you crazy or that it's tough to get to know well, and so you have to learn how to interact with difficult people in those kinds of relationships. But we have come to what is week 21 in the weekly study, and we have been moving it, moving, uh, taking it at a monthly pace, and that is the concept of marriage. I also shared with some of the men, we were sitting around talking this afternoon for a moment, and somebody mentioned the lesson, and I said, you know, really this is meant to be a word study. 
And we usually will look at the, the words that are used both in the Hebrew language and the Old Testament and the Greek language in the New Testament. But the authors of this particular week or month didn't really do that. They didn't necessarily take a look at the words, but it's certainly the concept of marriage. And so tonight we begin thinking about the idea that marriage and family are universal traits of human culture. It's really a very interesting study of cultural anthropology if you've ever studied that or thought about even just marriage customs. Uh, you know, marriage customs in the different societies of the world. And we might not think about that often. Certainly for us, sometimes, unless you've had family members or friends who have married someone maybe from a, a different cult country or a different culture, maybe it's just something we've seen in movies or on television. But we do know that there are sometimes a lot of different customs that go along with other countries and other cultures when it comes to marriage. I was thinking about this idea, though, and it's even changed within our country, has it not? Some of you know, you think back to your uh, wedding ceremony or your marriage, maybe, and you think about today. You know, I was trying to remember, I guess it's maybe been three or four wedding ceremonies ago that I did that was actually in a church building, which nothing wrong with that to say that, but not... Less people are getting married in the church building, and now they get married outside at some of these beautiful venues that cost lots and lots of money, but that's another story too. Um, but, you know, that, that's where they get married nowadays. There's nothing wrong with that. But there, is, there have been these changes in even our marriage customs. You know, it's interesting, for example, to, to know that typical middle and upper class Brazilian families will go through two marriage ceremonies, just for an example, that satisfy both the civil law and the religious sensibilities. The civil marriage is performed by an authorized government official which binds two people together legally. And in the eyes of the Brazilian government then, they are husband and wife. But in the eyes of those Brazilians who are religious people, especially Roman Catholics who make up the majority of the Brazilian population, a couple is not truly married before God until they are married in a religious ceremony performed by a clergyman uh, duly chosen by the church for this exact responsibility. And so because of this historical influence of the Roman Catholic Church, which was the official religion of Brazil until 1889, this point of view sort of permeates their thoughts on marriage and marriage ceremonies. And pretty much uh, the Brazilian society, even today, uh, you'll have these folks who believe that you must go through these two ceremonies in order to be considered married. Because each culture, though, has its, its own set of traditions, it's interesting for us to consider tonight, what does God say about it? What does the Bible say about marriage? And not necessarily the customs that are going along with that. Well, we would begin tonight by saying very simply, of course, according to the scriptures, Jehovah God himself created marriage. We think about the first married couple and Adam and Eve, who along with their offspring became the first nuclear family, as we sometimes use that phrase. And we know very little about the details of that first union, exactly maybe what took place, but we do, what we do know is significant as we think about what we learn about marriage and understanding exactly what God has to say about it. And I've said this to you before, and I'll share it here again, but I, I've, and it's not originated with me, but it's a great sort of succinct way to remember this and share it with our children, but that God's plan for marriage, then, if he is the creator of marriage, his plan for marriage is one man for one woman for life. That is God's plan for marriage. Now, 
We know that when humans get involved and things go awry and sometimes people uh, change, sometimes people aren't the, the person maybe we thought that they were, that things don't always work out the way that they do in the movies where uh, you know people always end up happy and together and the guy gets the girl and everyone's happy and all these things. It's not the way life usually goes. But that does not mean that that is not what God's ideal is, God's plan for marriage. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. Uh, but we understand then that our world, and even maybe Satan more direct, more in particular, has then been able to attack that. You see, the idea of having to say one man or one woman for life or one lifetime, why does it have to be that long? Why does it have to go into that detail? Well, it's, well, it's because there are so many people who would take this simple idea and change it into this or that. But again, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, thinking about God's plan for marriage and God being the creator for marriage, although marriage is created by God and its purposes are defined by his word, that's where we go for our instruction. So even though God is the creator and he's given us the instructions, I'm going to say something that's going to be earth shattering to you. And that is, there's never been a perfect marriage. Just going to wait and see if anybody's going to object or stand up or anything. Nope, okay, no takers on that. Uh, marriage was created by God, but there has never been a perfect marriage. Why can we say that? Well, we said it just a moment ago. Let's go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the beginning. And not from the marriage of Adam and Eve to our own day has there ever been a, a perfect marriage. Now, that's not to say there haven't been happy marriages. <clears throat> that's not to say that there haven't been marriages that are great examples to the world around us, to people that they come in contact with. But as is true of our human condition in general, just the, the human nature of man, all marriages are flawed. We come into a relationship and things seem great and maybe they are great. Things are sort of new and they're fresh and, and so we seem like things will be wonderful. But we know that we're bringing two people who are less than perfect together and that's not going to make perfect in any sort of fashion it's certainly not all the time, although hopefully there are more good days, good times than bad times. Marriages are flawed because we as individuals are flawed by sin. That produces in us weakness. That produces in us issues and problems. We struggle with sin, and then we have relationship issues, which is why this is a great study for us as we think about relationships. But a good marriage, therefore, requires great determination and effort. It requires great determination and effort on our part if it is to be the blessing that God intended marriage to be. You see, I, I said this, I think, on, on Wednesday night. It may have been in my Bible class here in the auditorium. But I had to write an article recently for the Truth publication, I think will be in the December issue, but it talked about the husband and the wife relationship. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because of that article, and, and this lesson kind of touched on that. But what happens is, is we allow comedians and we allow movies and the world to set the standard. And then it seems like that if we're not dogging our wife or talking bad about our husband or fussing about something, that we're not normal. And instead, what should ha be, be happening is that Christians should be producing and putting forth the idea that marriage is great. It is something that you should want to be a part of. It's not perfect. It's not always easy. But if we're not careful, what we sometimes do is we tear it down in such a way and even sometimes, I think jokingly, 
That's why I don't mean to just throw comedians under the bus, but, but it's really easy to talk about our wives or, you know, the things they do, and it, and it seems like a joke, but instead, sometimes we're, we're tearing people down for the sake of humor or the sake of the way that we think everyone else is. It's not the way God did intend for marriage to be miserable or for to be something that people don't want to be a part of. For our young people, because that was something that was mentioned in this, I didn't necessarily intend to share it, but something that was mentioned in this article was the idea of marriage changing, that maybe the divorce rate has been dropping recently, but maybe that's because less people want to get married. You know, they're content either to live together or just to have many relationships and not get married, because just like it is with Christianity, some people look at Christians and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Why would I want to be a part of that if you're always fussing or complaining or gossiping or talking about everybody else? Why would I want to do that? And sometimes our young people say, well, all I listen to is my parents bicker or even other people from the congregation talk about their wives or their spouse or whatever and tear each other down. Why would I want to be a part of that? That's not the way God intended for marriage to be. No, there has never been a perfect marriage, but if God created marriage and wanted marriage to be a, an example, a light to the world. <clears throat> you see, that's one way that we can do that. Not just in general, although I think in, in principle, in general, it's great for us to just to have good marriages that are good examples for those that we come in contact with. But maybe you're trying to be part of a good marriage and your spouse trying to be a part of a good marriage. You never know when maybe you can help someone else in their marriage you don't have to have a fancy degree or spend lots of money but maybe just offering some good advice can be encouraging at the very heart of a good marriage of course is faithfulness to the wedding vows if you have your bible look at exodus chapter 20 i know we've not talked about a lot of passages so far we'll look at a few but certainly uh, even as charles said a moment ago the songs are not uh, don't focus on marriage a lot of course we're here to focus on god but I want to come back to that idea in just a moment, a few moments as we uh, begin to conclude our lesson in a few minutes. But Exodus chapter 20, you may have it marked in your Bible as the Ten Commandments. You see, at the very heart of a good marriage is faithfulness to the wedding vows. No wonder the seventh of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not commit adultery. No wonder the tenth of the ten says, you shall not covet, verse 17, your neighbor's house, but then, it, excuse me, it goes on down, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You see, as we talk about there never being a perfect marriage, we would probably also do well to stop and notice here that two of the major attacks on marriage in our world today that come from Satan himself are divorce and homosexuality. Now, I'm, I'm going to do my best not to repeat myself here over and over again, but I feel like I always want to say and share and emphasize when sharing these things or talking about these types of lessons, I stand before you fully aware that every relationship is a little different. That it is sometimes, for the nature of public speaking, easy to say one general thing. And I think very often God has given us good general principles but you find as you deal with marriages and as you deal with folks who are going through divorce or adultery or fornication or trouble that there are all kinds of situations, whether it be the husband or the wife, whether it be in-laws or parents who are involved, it's sometimes very difficult and not always just real easy to sit down and make a, for the preacher to make a bold open statement and just everyone be able to take it and apply it to every single situation. 
But it is also true that sinful men and sinful women have always suffered from the, the wandering eyes and the ideal that it, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. That I can always find something better. And we know, of course, many people who have fallen for this lie, who have wrecked their lives, their families, sometimes even other families, and sometimes their own personal reputations. And, of course, we usually mention with this the idea of King David. So we've been talking about David on Sunday morning, some being the classic example of this scenario. David, who was a man after God's own heart, David, who seemed to have it all together and everything figured out, but yet here loses almost everything because of his failing to obey the two commandments that we just listed a few moments ago. We could stand in awe of David's many accomplishments, his military, maybe we might even say his political, and yes, even his spiritual accomplishments sometimes. But then we take a look at the story of David and Bathsheba, and it makes us sick. And especially when we look around us and see that this continues to happen to people who fall prey to these thoughts and these ideas. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been talking about Philippians in our Wednesday night Bible class. And I've em emphasized to our people, to those who have been in our class, that you need to remember this is a letter. Paul is writing a letter to Quite possibly, I think Don pointed out to us not too long ago, new Christians, new congregations, so to speak. Maybe it's been a couple of years, but they're still fairly young and new. And notice, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what is one of the first things that Paul provides by means of ethical instruction for a brand new congregation? Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. He writes later, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Down in verse number 8. No marriage has ever been perfect, but God has not given up on the idea that fidelity in marriage is absolutely necessary for one who claims to be a Christian. To be unfaithful to marriage vows is to have disregard for God. You see, Satan has attacked our country, in a sense, by talking about divorce and having divorce be such a large part of our country and our culture. I mean, let's just be honest about it, right? We start talking about lawyers and people who are kind of always willing to help but usually willing to help people get divorced as opposed to, to maybe reconcile if they're able to. We're painfully aware that Satan has launched a major attack against marriage in our day. But it's not the first time that it's happened in our history. But it's for the first time for many of us to experience such an assault on one of the most basic institutions. The one of the most basic human institutions. You know, we can, we can point back to a time in our country, some of you can, where you say, well, there seemed to be a lot less divorce, but it's always true that this has been Satan's way to try to attack the home and the family and really to destroy the church, even, by having divorce be something that can become very easy in, in our society. But I also mentioned here, and it was talked about less in this article, but I just felt like it's something we should touch on for just a moment. But certainly, as we talk about God's plan being one man and one woman for life, 
It's also easy to see that homosexuality has become a big part of the attack on marriage and the family. You know, this gets into a lot of probably sociological and, and other things that we could talk about. But children needing a mother and a father, a family being this unit by the way that the Bible explains it and God has told us the way it should be, it's there for a reason because he created it, because he understands how we work. He understands that our children need mothers and fathers who will look out for them, who will care for them, who will teach them the biblical meaning and importance of marriage. It is very difficult, but it is something that we should strive to help our young people with as we think about the future of our nation, as we think about the future of the church. We think about this basic human institution of the family. We're to the end of our notes, but I have a couple of things I want to share with you here um, as we think about the Word of God. When you think of marriage, and I'll go ahead and tell you, if you want to be turning to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapters. Uh, four and five. When you think about marriage, where do you turn? I, I didn't know Charles was going to say that, but it was, it's kind of funny to think about that, yeah, in our songbook, there are not a lot of songs about marriage. But when you think about marriage, what passage do you usually think of? Well, first of all, I didn't ask you to turn there, but we might say 1 Corinthians 13, right? There's not often a marriage ceremony that doesn't go by that we don't mention the love chapter of the Bible. And rightfully so, don't get me wrong. We need to understand what the Bible has to say about love and truly has to say about love there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The second place we might usually think of is Ephesians chapter 5. You see, in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and this was actually the section that I was assigned for the article that I had to write just a few weeks ago, but it's on marriage. It's, on, it's talking to wives. He speaks directly to wives in verse 22. He speaks directly to husbands in verse 25. And so we think about 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 5, and we learn a great deal about marriage. But let me challenge you. Have you ever considered some of the other passages in the Bible that don't specifically mention marriage, but still give us some guiding principles with our relationships? You see, it's easy, for example, here to wear out as a preacher. I mean, just to wear out. You're going to have a, a sermon on marriage. You got to talk about Ephesians chapter five, right? Verses 22 through 33. But Let's not overlook the application to marriage and the home when we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 leading up through chapter 5 and verse number 2. What does it say? Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What does it say in verse 31? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Have you ever tried to apply Ephesians 4.32? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's talk about a couple of others. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 5 through 15. You see, this passage is discussing new life. The new life that follows our baptism. We say this a lot. We are, we are immersed into the water. We are immersed into a watery grave. We rise again to walk in newness of life. This passage deals with that new life that follows our baptism, but it also talks about things that will bless every marriage that pays attention to these teachings. Again, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5. 
Going on down through there, put away fornication, uncleanness. Verse 8, put off all these things, anger, wrath, filthy language out of your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Hey, you know, that really works well as a Christian. That works well between me and you as Christians working together. But do we try that with other people, but not so much with our spouse? Sometimes when we keep secrets. And you just go on down through there. We won't time to take time to look at the whole passage. But even going down to verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. <clears throat> Excuse me, have you ever been in an argument maybe with your spouse where you're looking at them and you're having this feeling, you treat everyone else better than you treat me. You know, you forgive everyone else. You're quick to help everyone else, but not me, your own spouse. Are we guilty of that sometimes? Let's look, mention a few others. What about the golden rule? Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12. We practice the golden rule with others. Do we practice it in our marriage? Why don't we see teaching about successful marriage in the golden rule verse? What about Matthew 22 and verse number 39 where we find the second greatest commandment? Matthew 22 and verse number 39. Jesus says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, sometimes we get further on in marriage, 5, 10, 15 years or more, and we say, well, yeah, you're always nice to your neighbors, but you just treat me like I'm nothing because we've just been around together for so long. But doesn't love your neighbor as yourself speak to marriage? What about even Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6? Revelation chapter 2, Christ is speaking, and he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he's giving them tips for restoring a love that has gone away. The principles for restoring a church whose love has disappeared are the same principles that can restore a marriage that has grown cold and boring. It's something that we should consider, not just looking at the passages that we are familiar with, but even others sometimes that maybe we don't think applies in the same way. One final passage in the lesson will be yours. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, I was thinking a few moments ago as we were getting ready to begin, I think it was a family or marriage lesson, some of you may recall, where I think I pulled every single book that I had out of for marriage on top of the pulpit here. That was maybe earlier this year. Uh, I found everyone I could in my library and stacked them up here on the pulpit as we talked about marriage and the family and our relationships. You see, I, I think about that in, in regards to this lesson because we could be here all night, and even then we can't cover it all. And even then, jokingly, I'm not an expert and don't pretend to have it all figured out because one thing that we do see, I think, from Scripture as well is that is, it is a continual effort. It's not just one thing. It's certainly not just a marriage day thing, a marriage ceremony thing, and it's certainly not a five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan, but it is a plan of work uh, basically daily, trying to be the best person and the best spouse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want to share this devotional thought with you that came from the book, and then the lesson will be yours. It says this, As this particular text was announced at the marriage seminar, a man piped up and said, Have you ever noticed that Peter uses six verses to tell women what to do, but only one verse directed to men? And an elderly man on the fourth row his voice, worn with years of wisdom, spoke with a low growl and said, Yes, 
But what man can live up to that one verse? If you look there in that passage, Peter advises wives, and beginning in verse number one, to win their husbands by their respectful and pure conduct. He writes of an inward adorning of the hidden person of the heart rather than merely, uh, merely external beauty. He gives a history lesson of the holy women like Sarah who serve as examples for godly women of all times. And then, yes, in one verse, but in one verse, Peter instructs husbands to do three things. And here they are. Number one, live with your wives in an understanding way. What? Understand women? Now, we really will be here all night if we get into that category. One student said that it would be easier to build a bridge from the mainland to Hawaii than to understand his girlfriend. But to understand someone, you have to listen and learn and live respectfully. Second, Peter instructs husbands to honor the woman as a weaker vessel. Now, this is certainly a point of discussion among many people. He does not say that women are weaker necessarily. Peter is married. He knows that his wife, like other wives, is stronger in many ways than he is. But his main idea is to honor the, the things that he does for her as if she were the weaker vessel. Simple things like opening doors, carrying boxes, buying gifts, and a myriad of other things tell a wife that she is respected and honored. And finally, there in verse number seven, prayer. Prayer lives are so important that they do not need to be hindered. Marital conflict not only disrupts marital bliss, but it can often make our prayer life very difficult. It's hard to pray when your heart is broken because of confrontations with your spouse. It's hard to have the right relationship with God when things are not right in the home and in a marriage. You see, yes, there's six verses addressed to the wives, but one very strong verse that gives encouragement to the husbands. And of course, one of the other articles that I was going to share if we had time, but dealing with the idea, and back to Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment, is the idea that wives are to submit. And our world doesn't like that word. We talked about that in our class this morning as Charles led us in the discussion. We talked about submission. But husbands are to love their wives. And both of those things are given with the clarifications of doing it as Jesus would have us do or as Jesus did, right? Jesus gave his life for the church. That's how we husbands are to love our wives. You want to talk about a high standard. Wives are to submit to their own husbands, but to, are to do it as to the Lord. You see, that takes, that takes that word submit and brings it to a whole new category, to cause us to think that it's not just because he's the boss or he, he gets his way whatever he wants, but doing it, submitting as to the Lord. And that's a lot easier when the husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Marriage. Lots of jokes, lots of stories, lots of things that could be said. But may we always strive to look back at the word of God to see how we should live, not only in those key passages, but in lots of passages. And may we strive to live up to that example that Christ left for us in loving his church and giving his own life. That leads us perfectly, in a way, into our invitation as we think about the example that Christ uh, left for us in his death upon the cross. You see, God made a simple plan of salvation that we can understand that we can find on the pages of the New Testament. We put these verses up here, even though we don't take the time to always read through or notice each one. 
But if you're here tonight and you've heard the word, as we have done even this evening, and you're ready to then believe the word of God, you can then repent of your sins, change your mind, which leads to a change of life. You can then confess Jesus as Lord. He makes the great promise that if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father. And you're ready then to be baptized for the remission of sins. The other thing that we don't always point out is sometimes we act like a person has to be at the top and work to the bottom. Uh, You've heard the word. Maybe you even believe the word. But do you need to repent of your sins or confess Jesus as Lord? And do you need to be baptized so that your sins can be washed away by the blood of Christ and the Lord can add you to his church? Maybe you're here, but you've struggled in remaining faithful unto death. You're here, but you've struggled to continue to walk in the light. Maybe it deals with your marriage. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's something of a sinful nature of a public way that you'd like to come to the front and make it known before this audience. We're thankful to be able to pray for one another. We're thankful to serve a God who will forgive us. And we're thankful for this opportunity that presents itself now to make a change, even now as we stand together and as we